You've worked Hi, hard to start it's your own Dennis business. Daly. Now, all Inviting you need is customers. Let the original the company hour. incorporate right and get here. the word out with advertising, print, direct mail, broadcasting, and the internet. Whether it's banners on the World Wide Web or designing your own website, the original company can sure put you in touch with potential clients. But there's more. We can provide marketing research, media management, public relations, and other services. Make and your business our business. Contact the Original Company Incorporated online at originalcompany.com. My archives and some of the new ideas presented every week right here. And I start with a question. Have you ever been to a presidential library? Well, I've been to quite a few and did my show at the one in Texas, in Austin, that is the Lyndon Johnson Library. And the remarkable thing about it is that it is not a shrine to Lyndon Johnson. It's about the American presidency in our history. And I was lucky. The woman they chose to show me around was there from the beginning and a good friend of Lady Bird. Ione Young was among the original docents, the guide showing people around the library when it was first opened. Now she's one of only five of that original group left, but she has the most hours, if you will, of showing people around. So let's spend an hour with the woman who knew Lyndon Johnson, who can tell us about his presidential years and why the LBJ Library is so well visited. In the lobby is a huge bust of Lyndon Baines Johnson. It's done in a unique style, almost as if little pieces were pushed onto it. And it is the first thing you see when you come into this massive building. A man named Robert Burks, who's, uh, well, the last thing I heard of him, he wanted to cast a thousand buffaloes out in Wyoming. But he's really a very talented person. And we had uh, an exhibit called 39 Portraits in Bronze. And it goes back from his early times, and they were famous people from all walks but his story was uh, that see this was done when the, when the uh, Johnsons were almost ready to leave the White House it was in 69 and so he made this one of the president and Mrs. Johnson said now I like that 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 has the kind look he gives his grandchildren but now I would like the tough beleaguered look of the president and with an eye to business, I suppose, he said, well, I'll make another one of the president if you'll let me make one of you first. So we have three. Aha. Uh -huh. the, the, the presidential one's on the eighth floor. Uh, but uh, this, this texture, uh, if you, wouldn't you get used to it? Mm -hmm. it's, it's fine. I have occasionally seen a curious, it's always a little boy reaching up to see what's in the hollows <laughs> of his ears and his nose. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's difficult to describe on radio, but it, it's almost as if you've taken pieces of clay, small bits, so it has a, and pushed it on, so it has a rather rough texture, but it's very striking looking. Well, once we get we get used to this, then the, the smooth ones didn't look as, <laughs> as good as they did. I don't know whether you want when we come back, you might see the message up there that he is. Well, uh, let me read that. It says, I hope that visitors who, instead of that, that's right, <laughs> I hope that visitors Visitors who come here will achieve a closer understanding of the presidency and that young people will get a clear comprehension of what this nation tried to do in an eventful, uh, in an eventful period of its history. Eventful is the key word. You're not it? kidding. <laughs> you know, it is extremely difficult to explain to children, and now at my age I can say college kids are children, 
about that era, about the Kennedy assassination, about the war in Vietnam, about Johnson being thrust into all of that, because to them, that's like reading about the Civil War. If you didn't live through it, you can't get misty-eyed. It doesn't get you in the gut. As somebody said, they have no, we're talking about, they have no idea of time, and she said, one dose and said, you might as well be talking about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> oh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. That you are. All right, now then, we have some, some temporary and some special exhibits that are interesting and I'm just going to point out this one because it illustrates one of Johnson's anti-poverty programs, the Job Corps program. Now, why is this exhibit up here? <laughs> well, George Foreman, according to his own story, was a bad boy. And the police in Houston got tired of trying to do something with him, and so they gave him a choice. He could go to the farm school or he could go to the Job Corps. I'm pretty sure he didn't know about the Job Corps, but he knew about that other place. Yes. <laughs> he chose the Job Corps. I think it was in Washington State, the first one, and someone said, he likes to fight. Let's put him down in the gym and let him fight. He did it so well that he won in the Olympics in 1960. Uh, with the five, eight, whatever, eight. Yeah, 68. Eight, and then he told Johnson, of course, Johnson called and congratulated him, and he said, I'm going to win the world heavyweight crown. And he did, but ironically, Johnson had died that afternoon. Mm. And But he did then. He gave all the credit here, and this has been up once, and it's been up again. So he's, he's in Houston now preaching, but he has a youth camp over in East Texas turning other boys around. So this is, this is a success story about the Job Corps. We're on the road again at the huge Lyndon Baines Johnson Library and Study Center in Austin, Texas. A gracious woman named Ione Young is showing us around. She has put in more hours here than any of the volunteers who started out when this facility was originally open. We're talking about the career, the legacy of Lyndon Johnson. And I mentioned to Ione that for some people, it's difficult to understand how Lyndon Johnson, a son of the South, was so much immersed in changing America as far as race relations was concerned. And I mentioned to her it was probably because he grew up as a school teacher in southern Texas in an area that could only be described as being culturally diverse. The civil rights program did alienate some of his friends in the South. Senator Russell used to come back here with him and, and, and listen to the results, you know, down at the Driscoll. We'd all gather down there. And I will not have time to tell you the story of how he persuaded him to back some of the civil rights <laughs> programs, but he did. But I, I don't want to dwell on that, but that was a discussion I had the other day. We look at what's happening on Capitol Hill today, and everybody seems to be polarized, and they stand up and pontificate and make their statement. But you're right. Dirksen and Scoop Jackson and those people would, would stand up and make their point, but then they'd go behind closed doors and work things out. And then Johnson had worked with with a Republican president, too, you know. I've been Speaker of the House. We I forget said, about Eisenhower that. Eisenhower just really relied on him. to put, <laughs> And I've heard newsmen uh, queried, and I think they all agree that Johnson knew better how to work with both parties than anyone else that's ever been you know, in the, in the Senate or in Congress either. These are just pictures of the family, Lady Bird with her nurse that called her Lady Bird. And, uh, well, look, we know so much about Lyndon Johnson. We know about Lady Bird, at least nationally, when she became First Lady and her wonderful campaign to beautify America. I was, interview going on. <laughs> I was interviewing Fanny Flagg the other day, who did that, <laughs> that wonderful image. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, plant a tree, a bush, or a shrub. A bird. A bird, And she was talking about how Lady Bird is just still so spry and active and everything. I, I wish I had had the chance to meet her. Tell us a little bit, before we go on, about Lady Bird's childhood. Most of us only knew her when she oh. was first lady. Well, it was, it was quite sad. See, her mother died when she was either late five or almost six. And she had older brothers, but she, she grew up more or less alone over in East Texas, a little place called Karnak, which is more of a popular, you know, Egyptian place. And so her Aunt Patilla, Effie Patilla, came from Alabama. In, in the movie up there, someone says, she, she really looked after Aunt Effie rather than having Aunt Effie look after her. Uh, because Aunt Effie wasn't very well. Many Southern ladies were not. Uh, but uh, when people <laughs> comment, and that's another story about her accent. One time I was in Greece and said I was from Texas, and a man from New York said, you don't talk like Lady Bird, and I said, neither does Mr. Johnson. <laughs> and he said, why? And I said, well, his is South of Texas, and hers is, is, a, is a combination of East Texas and Alabama. And now I understand. Grafted, one grafted on the other, and that's what it is, and she can no more help talking that way. And when she went on the Whistle Stop tour, she said, well, at least it, you understand what I say, even if you don't agree with me. <laughs> so anyhow, then she went to a private school. She went to a school over in Marshall, which is East Texas, and she went to private school. And uh, then she attended the University of Texas, and she had a journalism degree. And it was when she was in Austin, and Johnson had gone to Washington to be the secretary or aide. Uh, I've forgotten what we call them now, but anyhow, to Congressman Clayburg from the famous King Ranch. And he was home on a visit and met this beautiful young woman, Claudia Alta Taylor, and said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Now, I heard her say when she uh, uh, did a commencement address at Southwest Texas, I taught over there for years, and, and, before, and she said that he proposed within 36 hours, and she thought he was teasing, but she felt butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she was shy. And, and she had led a protected life, and over in East Texas, that's altogether a different country. But she had gone to school and had acquired some, some knowledge, I guess, of what was going on. Now then, there's a letter back here that tells you about that uh, <laughs> short courtship. <laughs> so it, it was indeed love at first sight. Well, I guess it was, it, you know, but, but that's the way he impressed people. I mean, he was very loyal to the school, to Southwest Texas, when he would come back over there. And, you know, he could give you a pat on the back and make you think that everything's going to be all right. He's so tall and he's so big and so powerful. How tall was he? <laughs> well, about 6'4", I wow, think, when yeah. he was standing straight up, because he was always looking down and, and then talking to people. And he... He started the school early, the little school out at the Stonewall, because they lived here, and he just went over and sat in the teacher's lap, and, and, and she read to him. We're being shown around the Linda Johnson Library in Austin, Texas, by a woman who knew Lady Bird and who was one of the original guides at the library. More on the childhood of Lyndon Johnson after a break. <laughs>
You've worked hard to start your own business. Now, all you need is customers. Let the original company incorporated get the word out with advertising, print, direct mail, broadcasting, and the internet. Whether it's banners on the World Wide Web or designing your own website, the original company can sure put you in touch with potential clients. But there's more. We can provide marketing research, media management, public relations, and other services. Make your business our business. Contact the original company incorporated online at originalcompany.com. Welcome back. I'm Dennis Daly. You and I get together every Monday at this time, and we go back into my archives and uh, listen to some of the interviews I've done with people over the years, some famous, some not so famous. If I mention I own Young to you, you won't know who she is unless you heard the first part of the show, a guide now long gone at the Lyndon Johnson Library in Austin, a good friend of Lady Bird Johnson. She knew LBJ and the family well. She was telling us about LBJ as a child when he started school. He started early, he finished early, and she said the Johnson family, though, had the money at that time to put him in good schools. They had been fairly prosperous. Johnson City is named after some of his ancestors, but there were some bad investments, and then we were on a farm, you know, sure. back when I lived on a farm before prices of course things could happen. So he didn't think they had money enough to go to college, and he actually ran away from home. This is not generally known, but he did, and they found him in California, and his mother, I guess, knew him well enough to know not to pressure him, but he did come home, and he was working with a road construction group. And uh, somewhere along the way, in a little book that she wrote about the family, she said, now, that's, that's honest work, but I don't think you want to make a career of it. This week, we are in the massive Lyndon Johnson Library and Study Center here in Austin, Texas. A gracious woman named Ione Young is showing us around. She was among the original volunteers when this facility first opened, one of five charter members of the docents, the guides, if you will, and the one who has put in the most hours in showing people around. She has been telling us about the career of Lyndon Baines Johnson, and before the break, she mentioned that a very restless young LBJ ran off to California, worked on a highway road construction project, but then was convinced by his mother that he had a higher calling. So he went back home, and Ione Young continues the story. If we can borrow enough money to get me into that teacher's college over at San Marcos, which is now Southwest Texas State University, I will go to school. They borrowed $75. They, they did pay it back from a friend named Crow, and he entered school over there. He worked as a janitor. He worked in the president's office. And when I went there, this nice-looking young man was not so nice-looking. <laughs> But he thought he gave Lennon his start, and he liked to talk about him. The dean had known him, and other people had known him. And as I said, he was very loyal to the school. He would come back, and we, I was born a Democrat. That's not, we, we were apolitical in here. Sure, <laughs> but sure. that's how I first knew him. We campaigned together. Well, now, you s that. Let, me, let me ask you, how, so oh, go ahead. He, is, he, got him, he, he was made the debate team, see, and this is his debate partner, and I was his coach. And so he writes in the letter here uh, to his grandmother, she left some suits for his mother, and his first suits he'd had a long time. And, and he said, maybe I won't be the black sheep of the family after all. 
you know, it's so interesting to see him at that age. We're so used to seeing him <laughs> middle age or, or late in his career. Well, yeah. Had an interesting look about him in his teens <laughs> well, and early twenties. Well, they're hired too. Yeah, you split know, down the middle. Like <laughs> a lot of Vaseline. A lot of Vaseline before hairspray. Yes. <laughs> okay. Then he dropped out of school and went down to a little place called Catula between San Antonio and the border and taught the children there with a two-teacher school. And somebody said he wasn't old enough to be principal. I said, a man was always the principal. Yes. <laughs> it make any difference about his age or anything. Yeah. And how old was he then? Uh, okay. He Early 20s? A while. Yes, let's see. Um, he was born in 19... Doesn't look very old. He was born in 1908. Well, he wasn't. See, he had he got out of school early, high school, when he was about 17. He wasted a little time. So he was in his early 20s. I think he finally finished in 27. But in the movie in here, he said, it never occurred to me when I was teaching those children that I would sometime have a, someday have a chance to help their children. Mm. And i let you in on a secret. I'm going to do it. And and whatever people think about Lyndon Johnson, I don't think there's any doubt that people that knew him that he really was sincere. He had his heart in it to try to eradicate poverty. One of his letters he writes home for some toothpaste mm. to the children. Well, you know, we talked about ethnic diversity and cultural diversity. This first group of students he had here, uh, it's it's quite... A mix. I mean, he was dealing with a lot of poverty and more Latin a lot American, of, yeah, and, in, and in the South there, uh, very early on. Vantage point. Well, there are many things in there. He even fought like mad in the, in the face of ridicule for a little money for rat control. Hmm. Yeah, they said silly things like, I move, I, I move, then we kill this big rat now, that's pouring money down a rat hole, you know, yeah. and he got so mad, he got on TV, you know, and he finally got the money, he said, they hadn't lived on a farm, sure. you know, if you have some cheese and some mice, I mean, some cat, cats, you might get rid of the mice, <laughs> but you might not, and we've got a display back there where the rat infested place, so he, when he got out of school, he went to in Houston. He taught there a year, a friend of mine who later became the assistant superintendent, uh, knew him. And she said that the, all his students just adored him. Do anything he wanted to do. And I said, what do you think was a secret? And she said, I think because he listened. Well, we usually think of Johnson doing the talking, but he listened first. Hmm. <laughs> to know which way to go. And so when he left, she said, uh, he left, as I said, to go to Washington as an aide to Congressman Playberg. And she said, if you'd stay, you'd get to be principal. And she saw him after she came back to Texas, and he said, you know, if I listened to your advice, I wouldn't be out of a job. <laughs> he always had a good word. And then this is the, this. The, here they are. They went to, they married in San Antonio. They had a friend get a, uh, he didn't know what size, so he got several $2 rings, I think. <laughs> and then they went to, this is, a, this is Chapultepec. Uh, it's outside Mexico City in the little canals, and you ride in these little, little flower-decorated boats out there. What a, what a lovely picture of Lady Bird. And, she was, what, uh, 2021. 20, well, let's see. The because here again, most of us, most of us who you know, I I grew up in Indiana. I lived in Washington D.C. But during that era, I was in college in, in Indiana, so I did not know about the Texas Lyndon Johnson. To me, he was yeah. vice president, speaker of the house, vice president, then president. So all of this, seeing him as a child and seeing Lady Bird as a young lady, is an education to me. <laughs> well, I, I could keep here all day. There's a new book out called Hill Country. 
And it is basically about the woman in San Leonardo in San Marcos. It's written by Janice Woods Wendell, her granddaughter. But it's a great deal about Johnson when he was growing up because they were friends in the hill country. After he went back to Washington, she writes this letter and said, Tell me, Lyndon, what's the deal? I hope it's not politics. And then, you see, he had, he had worked with this... Uh, Youth organization, you know, one of the one of Roosevelt's, uh, I guess, anti-poverty programs, and so when he first ran for Congress, I've forgotten whether he had eight opponents or nine, but anyhow, he was called FDR's boy because he had already had this this appointment, you know, in the government. And uh, our governor Allred uh, took Johnson down to the coast to meet President Roosevelt. He was down there fishing. So he ran on the platform of supporting the president, and, and he was elected, but he was a good campaigner. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and he, this, this book that I was talking about begins, uh, uh, he first one used a helicopter. And he would, he would, and I've heard some of the people that worked with him tell their, their side of it. So he would get off in a crowd, and he'd sail the Stetson hat out into the crowd, but he had somebody... Jake Pickle, who was a longtime congressman, was one of the ones, and he and John Connolly were paid to go get the hat. <laughs> so this, this this woman that wrote this book <laughs> said her grandmother got it one time and she wouldn't give it back, <laughs> and he went out himself, you know, and she said she still see her grandmother, <laughs> this little bitty woman, you know, holding on to that hat, and Jocelyn was dressed, I think that's the only one he ever lost. And she begins her talk, this, this, this woman that wrote the book, sailing at Stetson, Stetson Company gives them to her, and she lets them keep them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, it's interesting you mentioned helicopter. You had mentioned the King Ranch before. The first time I was ever in a helicopter was on the King Ranch. I used to work for the agriculture. Department. Oh, you did. They picked me up at. Uh, I flew into Corpus Christi. Was it? Is it Kingsville? Yeah. Uh huh. And the, the King Inn is the best place to eat. I hope you ate. I the missed King it. Inn. I ate oh, it at Whataburger. Oh, <laughs> no, we got food family style. It just, but this fellow said he was going to pick me up, and I waited at the street intersection, and I waited and waited, and then I see this helicopter coming. I was terrified, but gorgeous, flying over the, the ridges and everything. I can, I can imagine that. I, now I can we're, even, oh. I can even tell you about the first plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now here is a photograph. Uh, you see so many of them. After World War II, the great housing boom, the, the, the fact the country got back on its feet, and then here's a picture of the helicopter. It's got a big Lyndon Johnson sign on it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but by this time, it becomes Senator Johnson. Yeah, by that time, it was Senator Johnson. He moved on up. Uh, he's one of the four presidents who had had the other elective offices in Congress, in Senate, and Vice President. Hmm. And then, you see, he had he had worked with this uh, youth organization, you know, one of the one of Roosevelt's, uh, I guess, anti-poverty programs. Hmm. And so when he first ran for Congress, I've forgotten whether he had eight of opponents or nine, but anyhow, he was called FDR's boy because he had already had this, this appointment, you know, in the government. And uh, our governor, Allred, uh, took Johnson down to the coast to meet President Roosevelt. He was down there fishing. So he ran on the platform of supporting the president, and, and he was elected, but he was a good campaigner. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and he, this, this book that I was talking about begins, uh, uh, he first one used a helicopter. We're in the LBJ Library in Austin, Texas. Not a shrine to Lyndon Johnson, but a wonderful library about American life and the American presidency. Back with more after a short break.
Have you ever missed one of your favorite local shows on WAOV? Ever missed the morning chat, Mark and Mark, or even financial questions, real answers? Well, that's not a problem anymore. WAOV has our local shows on podcast and easy to get to them. Go to WAOVAM.com and click on the podcast tab at the top to find your show. It's that easy. So if you miss Vintage Vincent, legal news or views, or just the tips, listen to the podcast the next day. Go to WAOVAM.com and find your podcasts. Welcome back. We're in the LBJ Library in Austin, Texas. Our guide is Ione Young, a woman who knew the Johnsons, a good friend of Lady Bird, one of the original guides here at the LBJ Library and Museum. Before the break, we were saying that LBJ was among the first to ever campaign using a helicopter, and he would drop into little towns all over Texas when he was first running for office and attract a lot of attention. So he would get off in a crowd, and he'd sail the Stetson hat out into the crowd. But he had somebody, Jake Pickle, who was a longtime congressman, was one of the ones, and he and John Connolly were paid to go get the hat. <laughs> so this, this was woman that wrote this book. <laughs> said Her grandmother got it one time, and she wouldn't give it back. <laughs> and he went out himself, you know, and she said, you still see her grandmother, <laughs> this little bitty woman, you know, holding on to that hat. And Jocelyn was trying to say, I think that's the only one you ever lost. And she begins her talk, this, this, this woman that wrote the book, sailing at Stetson. Stetson Company gives them to her, and she lets them keep them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, it's interesting you mentioned helicopter. You had mentioned the King Ranch before. The first time I was ever in a helicopter was on the King Ranch. I used to work for the agriculture department oh, you did. they picked me up at uh, uh, I flew into Corpus Christi was it is it Kingsville yeah uh-huh Damn and the, the King Inn is the best place to eat I hope you ate oh, I missed Inn. it I ate oh, it for one burger oh, <laughs> yeah. no we got food family style just, but this fellow said he was going to pick me up and I waited at the street intersection and I waited and waited and then I see this helicopter coming I was terrified but gorgeous flying over the the ridges and everything I can I can imagine that I, now I we're oh tell, I can even tell you about the first plane <laughs> well, now, now here is a photograph. Uh, you see so many of them after World War II, the great housing boom, the, the, the fact the country got back on its feet. And then here's a picture of the helicopter. It's got a big Lyndon Johnson sign on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but by this time, it becomes Senator Johnson. Yeah, by that time it was Senator Johnson. He moved on up. Uh, he's one of the four presidents who had had the other elective offices in Congress, in Senate, and vice president. Hmm. The other Johnson and Nixon, and gosh, I've forgotten who the other one was. Well, you know, I want to point out something here. As you walk through the the Linda Johnson Library and Museum here, it it certainly tells his story, but it tells the American story because here we've got Ike with a very young Richard Nixon. Yes, uh, that's something I think that some of us are especially proud of. <laughs> it is not true in all of the libraries. We believe that this is the most active of all the presidential libraries. We have an educational program. We have, as I said, we have evening. This evening with this program, we have speakers. That's where I work. I open the door over here. They're former presidents and first ladies and so on and so on. Well, now, let's let's spend just a second talking about that. You're, you're here right by a college campus. This, this affords you a wonderful opportunity to, to use this 
as a wonderful educational tool, unlike some of the presidential libraries, which are off in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they're right, and I understand they had to build four, give $40,000 to build a road to it. Yeah, they? it's up on a big hill where you uh, couldn't get to before. Yeah, this is so handy. Now, of course, uh, they wanted Kennedy's at Harvard, and there was no room, and it's not quite so accessible. Uh, Bush's, is, Bush's is fairly accessible, you know. It's on the, it's on the A&M campus. They, all they had to do was uh, uh, deodorize a pig farm. <laughs> Here they had to move people. And but, this is a beautiful building, I might point out. Well, I, I think it's an interesting place, and I like the setting around here. And as I said, I've been around the university so long, and I feel at home here. I got into this by accident, incidentally. <laughs> well, well tell, tell us about it, how, how you ended up here. Well, I, I had retired from teaching my... Uh, father had died and my mother was living alone and not losing her hearing and not, so, I, so I quit early and uh, then after she died I had been used to being a hermit and liked it and I was working for the Heritage Society but didn't want to take on anything else so that's why when the program well, actually some of my, form, my former graduate students were the ones that recommended me <laughs> urged me to do it and so I didn't want to get in too deep so I said I would substitute and work at special events and I quit substituting. I work this regular shift. This is not my regular shift. I work Tuesday afternoon. But I work at these special events. And we have all these people here. And I think this is a palatable way to learn history. Oh, absolutely. And we change exhibits from time to time. And let's see. Well, I hate bit. to rush on, but we, we have to talk about one thing. And I, I don't, I don't want to dwell here. But those of us who were alive on November 22nd, 1963, we know what the sky looked like. I knew everything I was doing that day. I know you've been asked this before. Where were you when you heard oh, well, that is simple. I was teaching at South Texas State, and uh, there was a telephone in the hallway here between my office and another office over here. Now, I often took my lunch because I couldn't stand the cafeteria, <laughs> and it was, it was during lunchtime for me, and I was the only one there. And I answered the telephone for a woman who was calling her husband, but, but as I said, I was the only one there, and the telephone was there. So that was the awful shock that I got. She was crying, and of course, she had not been declared dead at the time. He had been shot. And so I, I remember very well where it was. And then I remember, too, my old members of my family had gone up to visit my parents, and we were watching TV when they brought Oswald out. And we said, that is incredible to bring him. Well, and then the night before, and I said, oh, they're going to sneak him out in a laundry truck or something, you know, they're going to throw people. And there they were, these men facing the camera, you know. And then when it happened, one of my nieces said, it was the man in the black hat. I didn't really see who it was. So, so all those horrors, you know, are part of our memories. Well, you know, after this happened, that speech that Johnson made at Andrews Air Force Base, when he lands with Kennedy's body, where he basically said, I would rather be doing anything else right I'd now. I'd give than all that I have not to be here, all that yeah, I All that I have not to be here. I think Liz Carpenter wrote that, posted that speech for him. Mm -hmm. I guess the question I have to ask here is, did LBJ want to be president? Did uh, all He fell into it in a tragic manner, but if things had been different... Well, you see, he had wanted the nomination when Kennedy got it, remember? That's right, I forgot about that. Uh -huh. yeah. Yes, I have my little donkey <laughs> that uh, somebody who worked at campaign gave me. I worked in the one when he was running for vice president. But this little donkey that he'd had, yes, he had won me the nomination before, so I'm, I'm sure he wanted it, but he didn't want it that way. 
Our guide is Ione Young, who has been a volunteer here since the Lyndon Johnson Library opened. We turned a corner, and there were some photographs from that horrible day of November 22, 1963, when John Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. And the face you see quite often is that of a man who is still very active on the American scene. Jack Valenti, accidentally, <laughs> got into all this. Uh, he was in Houston, see, they went there first. And according to his story, Johnson said, oh, get a clean shirt and come go with me. So he just happened to be, you know, with Johnson at the time. So he told about all this that happened. And they had to have a Bible for Johnson to be sworn in. And, of course, Kennedy was a Catholic and would have had a missile. And Jack Valenti found this one in a box and said, you know, here it is, and they used it. Well, in all the confusion, or it was intentional or what, I don't know, but it disappeared. And then long after the Johnsons had come back to Austin, then they, well, wherever they were, <laughs> I guess they brought all the things here, and uh, it was discovered. And Mr. Middleton, the director, wrote to Mrs. Onassis and said, we have found the missile, where should we send it? And she graciously wrote back, don't send it, that's where it belongs. It was the only time it was ever used, and that's where it belongs. So It was Judge Sarah Hughes was yes. who swore in Lyndon? Sarah Hughes, uh-huh. She was, uh, she, Johnson had known her for a long time, and there uh, you have the pictures up here. Now, you mentioned Jack Bellini, who's now the head of the Motion Picture Association. Mm -hmm. At that time, he was serving in what capacity? Well, he, he was just a gopher, I think, at that time, because, I don't know, he had something to do, I, I've forgotten, I have his book, it's called A Very Human President, mm -hmm. and then Johnson, A Very Human President. But, I mean, was he and, part of the, the Kennedy entourage, or the, the no, Johnson? No, Johnson picked him up in Houston. Oh, okay. And he was part of the planning down there, and he said, see, I have a picture of him in San Antonio. A friend of mine was teaching first grade, and the father, one of the children was a photographer and it's this panoramic view of them with the Connellys but I won't put it up because it looks so sad now mm -hmm. they were there first and then they went to Fort Worth and Dallas and they were supposed to be to Austin seat they missed the Austin trip well I will tell you what yeah. let's move away from the sad day of oh, November 22nd and talk about once the funeral and everything was over LBJ takes over yeah and here this is the shot here he is addressing uh, the nation uh -huh. and there's a the little where it's been changed a little bit and he comes out with a uh, the final words there. Uh -huh. And this is the presidential seal, which has an interesting history. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's I a beautiful here. seal. Well, it originated, it originated sometimes in the 80s. It appeared on an invitation from the Hayes office, and it had four stars, and it was square. And it had, of course, the I don't know what the little fluffs are, but we know what the 13 stars are and all of this. Now then, uh, Truman made some changes in it after well, he also War. changed the white house yeah. <laughs> yes he did physically and, and spiritually didn't he well, well you know one of the the really funny things i remember truman saying he was, was such so outspoken i mean i would have loved to have met him someone asked him when kennedy was running if it bothered him that kennedy was a catholic and the reporter said maybe he'll be taking orders from rome and harry s truman's answer was i'm not worried about the pope i'm worried about his pop <laughs> <laughs> the elder Kennedy. Yeah, yes. that, that, that was, you know, a really pithy statement. <laughs> You're not kidding. Pop, yes. His pop was really To use it that way, yeah. Okay. A wonderful lady named Ione Young, a friend of Lyndon Johnson of Lady Bird, showing us around the Lyndon Johnson Library in Austin, Texas. And as I say, it's not a shrine to Johnson. It's just a great place. Back after the break. <laughs> 
within the last half hour, there's a good chance you were on your smartphone. Or there's a good chance you were on your laptop, tablet, or desktop searching the internet for some much-needed information. As a business owner or manager, you've got products and services and you need to reach new customers. We can help. TOC Direct Digital can help build you a custom digital campaign. Just email digital at originalcompany.com. That's digital at originalcompany.com. It's the final segment of this week's show. I'm Dennis Daly. Easy email address, bingo at earthlink.net. And during this time, we're in Austin, Texas, at the Lyndon B. Johnson Library and Memorial, and our docent, the woman showing us around, a good friend of Lady Bird's, one of the first guides ever when the library first opened, a funny woman with a great sense of humor. We were talking about the presidential seal and other symbols, and she was talking about how Truman had his own ideas about what it should look like and how the stars and everything should be arranged. So Truman said, now let's, uh, uh, so we're told, let's uh, move the eagle's head, let's turn it this way. It used to face the arrows, symbolizing war, and we'll have it face the olive branch. Symbolizing peace. Symbolizing peace, that's right. Ah. And in some, I think the one in England, in London's one I've seen, it's, still, it's etched in the wall and it hasn't been changed. Has the old way. And then let's give, let's give every state a star. So then when I have children here, I got a little bit of a history lesson. How many states were there then and how many are there now and which ones came in. Well, now the one other legacy we, we have to talk about, all of his social problems, the, the Kennedy phrase was the new frontier. And then with Johnson, it became the great society. On this side, I am the one to explain why it shouldn't be called the good society. We had a pontificator here one time that worked with, I've forgotten his name, uh, worked with Johnson, and every once in a while somebody said it should have been called a good society. First of all, it was already a good society. <laughs> it wanted to be, he wanted to be a great society, and, and Johnson didn't talk in common terms. I mean, you know, mild terms. He wanted it to be great. All right, if everybody had a good home to live in and food and clothes and some entertainment, music and all that, you see, he's the one that started the, uh, the Committee for the Humanities, then that would be great. And he really worked at it. You know, you talk about the humanities. I have a wonderful record album with a picture of what we now call the Kennedy Center on the front. But it wasn't called the Kennedy Center. Originally, it was called the National Center for the Performing Arts, I think. And then in, in honor of Kennedy's death, the name was changed. But it's so interesting to see that movement. Uh, and, and again, and please don't... I want to ask this question carefully because I will come off sounding critical. I don't mean that. But I think the legacy of Johnson as, I think the legacy of Johnson as being artistic because many of us from the North think of him as this big brash cowboy. Oh, we forget about his love hits. of the art. Well, yes. And everybody from rural Indiana as I am. But uh, the fact that he was very much involved in, in, in the arts. Oh, he loved to dance and he loved, uh, you know, books just, just read all the time. But uh, this this is something that somebody says and everybody else repeats it. See, he shouldn't have called it the Great Society. <laughs> but I said, you know, if, if somebody mentions an idea like let's go eat at this restaurant and you say, good, you're not very enthusiastic, but you say, great. You get that superlative. <laughs> and off you go. And that's what he did. Now, I grew up, you see, during the awful times of segregation and, and the separate but equal schools. In our little town, it was a little... Unpainted building where the wind blew. 
water through the cracks, you see. So don't tell me. Now, we did have this exhibit on his program upstairs. We had a, a video up there, a man who was a, they call them supervisors. I think we call them county clerks or something here in Mississippi. And uh, the one thing he says, I used to say to people, if you don't remember anything else you learn in this library, remember that. Until the Voting Rights Act in 1965, there was not one registered black voter in his county in Mississippi. Oh. And so that's what happened. And when President Carter was here, he's been here twice, he said he could not have run for office if it hadn't been for what Johnson did. And, of course, President Carter had to sue the first time he ran for state office in, in, in Georgia because they were pulling all these old tricks not letting blacks vote. What do young children say when they see this neon sign that says colored waiting room. I'm old enough, I can barely remember being in Washington, D.C. as a child and seeing whites only and asking my dad what that meant. I do explain, and I had one time, I had some Russians here, of course I had a translator, and, and I told her, I said, you, you be sure that you make this plain. I'm not excusing it. It's embarrassing. Uh, but but I'm confessing that this is what happened, and this is one of the things that President Johnson should be remembered for instead of nothing but the Vietnam War. Ione fondly remembers the late Barbara Jordan, a black woman from Texas, one of the most articulate women in politics, who was black, female, and handicapped, and still went to Washington and made a mark in American politics. She was a frequent visitor to the LBJ library and taught just next door. There were so many barriers and she was determined and when she came back to Texas people all speculated about why maybe she wanted to be attorney general and then get that but she was having trouble with her knee and uh, I know she gave one, one uh, interview and said she called it arthritis or something, and she said that's going to be the last you'll hear about the knee. <laughs> but it wasn't the last and first thing you know. But she could do such wonderful things, you know. <laughs> well, I own. I hate. I hate to rush. I hate to rush down here, but we we have to wrap things up. The best I can say here is is the fact that every time I go to a museum or a wonderful library like this, I know that we can only invite people here. We can only hit the high spots, but. Tell us, if you will, just a couple of stories of the reaction, particularly of young students, people who weren't even alive during this era, the kinds of questions they ask, the things they say. Well, it, it varies, and uh, some of them have had background. There is a, a, a packet that is sent out when the schools, uh, you know, make reservations to bring a tour in. And so they're supposed to know something. Some of them remember which number the president he was, and some of them, you know, remember where she got her name and all. Uh, but people that just, just come in casually, of course, they vary. They, 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 they know a lot about him or they don't know anything about him. And I think the movie helps a great deal. Uh, I've seen people come out of that misty-eyed. And they'll say, I think it's too bad that he never got credit for so many things that he did. As I said, we're apolitical, but sometimes people joke about when we had the Teddy Roosevelt exhibit, why do you have that here, you know? And I said, well, we're a history museum. But she said one time a man came in and said, uh, you know, jokingly, do you allow Republicans in here? And she said, yes, you come in this door Republican and you go out that door Democrat. <laughs> so some of them are converted, most of them. But the young people, uh, it all depends. Some of them just 
you know, go through because they brought them here. Sure. But it's interesting to me, now I take up for children when people say they have a short attention span, and you ain't telling more than this. I hate to think I couldn't entertain a bunch in a place this big for at least an hour. But, but sometimes there are children who have a background, and, and they know uh, right off. Well, there was a, uh, a woman here whose husband was in the legislature, and she had missed the movie up there. And missed it again and she had her little boy who was nine another little boy and i guess they had they had told him all these things and up there on the second floor there's a, a metal mural johnson with each president with whom he served and one by himself and he recognized all of them hmm. and some of the history majors in high school and college don't recognize all of them so it, it is really very varied and it is so encouraging when you find some that know about Absolutely. this and they, and they do know the difference between abraham lincoln <laughs> You know, I think I was very fortunate that when the Lyndon Johnson Library found out I was coming, they got the woman who was probably the best guide of all to show you and me around. She knew Lady Bird and the Johnsons and was there from the very beginning when the Lyndon Johnson Library opened. And I keep saying it's not a shrine to LBJ. It's not. There are some other presidential libraries that tell a very one-sided story that are rather a shrine to the president involved. But the LBJ Library isn't like that. It looks at America and the history of the presidency. You and I get together every Monday at this time. I look forward to it. I hope you do. I've still got some great interviews in the archives that you haven't heard yet. So join me next week right here. (laughs) 